Oh, you want to see the flash? Oh, you like that? Thank you. That's really great. Good morning, everyone. You doing okay? Wow, what a week, right? Oh, my goodness. Wow, just blow after blow. 50 by Wednesday. 50 degrees by Wednesday. Come on. Not, not, that should just enliven your, your soul right there. 50 by Wednesday. That's encouraging. So the weather may be breaking, and that's good news. Well, uh, I'm going to begin a new series this morning, and it's called Forward. Forward. Now, I know many of you are in the mood today to be reassured, to be comforted, to be patted on the hand, touched on the face. It's going to be okay. I, I understand that's, that's a high need, but we're not stopping for that now. We're moving forward. We're moving forward now, and I want, I want you to start allowing the seeds of this whole idea to germinate, to get, get planted, and start to take root in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your sense of your future, because God is calling us forward. And I want to encourage you today, not only to put courage in you, but I want to inspire you as well. So even though you may be a little low, a little down, a little, a, a little sobered by, by everything that's happened in the past, I want, us, I want us to decide that this is going to be one of those crossroads moments in your life, in the life of our church, that we are picking up and we are moving forward. That's the idea. I'm going to spend five weeks. Now, today I know I'm barely going to keep you awake, but in over five weeks I might actually inspire you <laughs> to think about moving forward. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to our text today, which is the New Testament book of Philippians and chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read two verses, 13 and 14. Uh, I, I want to mention that this series is based on a book uh, that I came across a few months ago, written by uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. And David Jeremiah is a TV preacher guy, uh, radio personality. He's 81 years old. He is a, uh, just an excellent scholar, student of the Bible. I admire him very much. And he's still going strong at 81. And he wrote this book forward. Uh, he wrote an article recently that inspired me. It was, What Has Happened in My Life Since I Didn't Retire? And it was a long list of enormous accomplishments. And so that inspires uh, a guy like me. So I hope uh, that we will take meaning from it. So Philippians chapter 3, our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thank you for doing that as you're able. This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church at, at Philippi. 
And he says in verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, the ultimate goals in my life. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now may God inspire us and motivate us through this simple observation, this simple truth in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Most of you know the shortest verse in the Bible. It's John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus is at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and the Bible says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible where Jesus is speaking is over in Luke 17, verse 32, and Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Three words. Remember Lot's wife. Now, what's that about? Well, God had ordered Lot and his family from Sodom before judgment fell on Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, these evil cities, ancient cities, God says, judgment's going to fall. I want Lot, you and your family, out. And so he orders Lot and his family out of Sodom, and he says very explicitly, don't look back. Don't look back. And Lot's wife apparently found it difficult to let go of Sodom and all the memories she had there, and she looked back. And when she did she turned to a pillar of salt. Very harsh. So here's, here's what we learn from this. It's easy to become salty this way. By that I mean held hostage by things that have happened to you in your yesterdays. This happens to lots of people lots of times. Not only are seasons that are harsh, events that are tragic, moments that have been so painful to us, and I've watched this over the years that people get, actually get stuck in yesterday. They get held up by those moments, by those seasons. And it's hard for them to move forward. And human nature being what it is, we're a mess, all of us. Human nature being what it is, we also get stuck in the successes of our past, in the accomplishments of our past. Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look what goal I achieved. And you, and you tend to live there. Either way, here's what the scripture is teaching us today. It's, it's not fruitful. It's not ultimately effective to spend your life looking back, but rather forward. Everyone say forward. forward. One more time. Forward. When you're driving a car, you just glance in the rearview mirror. You spend most of your time looking at the front windshield. It's easy to live in the past. It's easy to get stuck there. But the admonition of God is to move forward. 2020 was an historic year for all of us. We are all suffering from pandemic fatigue. Uh, this, is, this has sobered all of us. We are all exhausted, whether you know it or not. No, no, I feel fine. You're not. We're, we're all emotionally and in many cases physically, uh, mentally, we are drained. We are, I mean, we've been through it. And so we're all suffering from this fatigue, this political upheaval, the social unrest. All of us have suffered. We've suffered personally, some of us professionally, some of us has lo have lo many losses in our lives. We've lost jobs or income or relationships. Some of us have lost loved ones. Too many of us have lost hope. And I want to help us turn that around. I've personally seen decline in my mother's health. She's 87 years old. 
Some of you have parents or grandparents who are in retirement centers, assisted living, nursing homes. My mother's in an assisted living, and you know what they've been through. I mean, day after day, week after week, month after month of isolation. You know, meals delivered to the room. Don't come out of your room. No physical contact. Can you even imagine? It's been horrific. And my mother took a fall, and they thought she broke something. They took her to the hospital. She didn't break anything. But while she was in the hospital, she gets COVID. So she's in the hospital for weeks, isolated. She she won't be the same. And she survived all of that. We talked to her on the phone, but we can, you know, she's diminished by it. And the stories go on like that. I, uh, I have seen the last 40 years of the work here at Union Chapel, the length of my tenure here has been affected in so many ways. Our lives have changed. Our lives together have been altered. Um, the church has been affected in ways that we still yet don't understand. But we do know that post-COVID, life will be different in so many ways for so many of us. Uh, I buried my best friend this past year. Um, a 40-year friendship with someone closer that I could imagine ever having a friendship. And Reverend Dr. Mark Beeson passed away. I preached his funeral on December 20th. Mark and I made a, a pledge over the years. We've known each other 40 years that whoever went first, the other one had to preach their funeral. And I lost. I lost. And he, he's there first. I don't know if I'll ever see him again because Mark will be in some level of heaven that I may never achieve. And so I, I may get to see him from, you know, he's up in some balcony somewhere and I, Hello, how is it up there? It's great. I don't know. All of us have stories, though, don't we? Stories of disappointment, of pain, of confusion, of fear, of grief. And now we're all faced with one very important question, the question that begs to be asked, the question that is most pertinent, the question that we must all face into as we look to the future is simply this, what's next? Where do we go from here? All of us should be asking that question. Again, to our text, let me put it on the screen. This is the apostle. He said, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, there's some perspective for you. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. Now, you've heard me say many times this phrase, the best is yet to come. Some of you actually believe that's my personal opinion or some pious platitude. Listen, that statement is deeply rooted in truth, deeply rooted in the scripture, because the Bible's clear about this. It teaches that if we are followers of Jesus and we have a hope that does not disappoint because of that, the best is yet to come. No matter what we've been through in the past, no matter what that looks like, no matter how difficult that was, The best is yet to come. In fact, we can say that no matter how good it's been, how blessed it's been, how favorable it's been, the truth is that the best is yet to come. Eternity is in front of us, and it's a great hope. So here's Dr. David Jeremiah, our tutor for this series again. He said, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, your future is always, listen to this phrase. This is a great turn of phrase. I wish I could do this. The future is always unfolding at the speed of grace. How great a thought is that? 
The grace of God, the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God, the grace of God, this gift of God. We are moving forward into our future at the speed of grace. God is waiting to use you now more than ever, and your life is far from finished. It's just beginning. Listen to F.B. Meyer. He was a 19th century a century preacher of the gospel. I want to put this quote on the, on the screen. He said, it's a mistake to be always turning back to recover the past. The law for Christian living is not backward, but forward, not for experiences that lie behind, but for doing the will of God, which is always ahead and beckoning us to follow. Can I get an amen? That's a, that's a good word. So let me just talk to young people in the room right now. You know who you are, the young among you. There are things that I'm about to teach you today and in the next several weeks that you desperately need to know as you start moving toward adulthood and toward God's best plan and purpose for your life. The things that I will be teaching are very, very important for you to hear and to implement in your life. So please stay tuned. For those of you who are young parents, young professionals, the pressures of life that you are beginning to experience now are, are real and they, they are stunning. They, they can knock you off course, but God has a, a design and a plan for you. I want you to hear that. There is a hopeful future for you, and you can be hopeful in that future. And so believe it. Believe it true. The best is yet to come for you. If you're a midlifer today, this is an opportunity for you to get a fresh start in the second half of your life. And for those of you in midlife, look, let's retune, let's refire, let's restart, let's go again, let's find God's great plan and purpose for your life. There is much ahead. And for those of you who are older, listen to me carefully. If you're not dead, you're not done. There is one overwhelming, primary, singular responsibility if you're alive, and that's to live. If you're not dead, you're not done. Can you hear that? I hope you can. Uh, the, the richest moments, I believe, of divine service for those of us who are older are yet ahead of us. I believe that. Uh, there's a fascinating study uh, that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2018. This is counterintuitive. Now, I want you to listen to it carefully. This, this kind of goes against conventional wisdom. New England Journal of Medicine, 2018 that our most effective decade of life, watch this now, is between age 60 and 70. Most effective between age 60 and 70. What's that about, you suppose? I, I know what it's about. It's about experience. It's about learning some stuff. It's about seasoning. It's about character. It's, it's about coming to a stage of life where you not only know some stuff, but you are somebody who can offer influence to others around you. The most influential time of life is between 60 and 70. The second most influential time of life is, is between 70 and 80, according to this study. And the third most effective is between ages 50 and 60 years old. So once you get to 50, apparently you're in some position to make a difference, but not as much as you will when you get a little older. Isn't that fascinating? Doesn't that, does, that, does that tweak anybody? Does that mess with you? It, it apparently has some substance in, in the science. So you be encouraged if you're a little older. 
So here's what I want to talk about today. I want you to reclaim, if you've lost it, I want you to reclaim your dreams. I want to give you permission. I give you permission today before God and his word to reclaim your dreams. Your dream is not dead. You bring it to life again. And God will bring life in it as well. Helen Keller is a great icon of American culture. This is a, this is a woman who could not see and could not hear, even as a child, could not see and could not hear. And I imagine if you can. And because of the persistent care that she received when she was young, she actually began to comprehend the world around her until by the time of her full maturity in life and ultimately her death, she was one of the great treasures in America. She's actually buried in the, in the, in the United States Cathedral in Washington, D.C. I mean, she's, she's, she's just a, a saint of our culture and an amazing human being. Helen Keller had this quote. I want to put it on the screen. She said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Now hear the wisdom. Hear the wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people are scattered. They're unrestrained. There's no direction. So we know in life, generally this is true. If you don't have a blueprint, you don't know where you're going. If you don't have a blueprint, you can't build a house. If you don't have some kind of clear idea about where you want to go and why you want to go there, it's difficult to maintain forward momentum. And so we understand how important. And the, the world has been, has been formed and shaped by determined dreamers. We all know this is true. We admire these men and women. It's a remarkable thing. And in, in modern times, in contemporary times, George Lucas had this idea, this dream about a concept called Star Wars. Well, now everybody on the planet knows that you say Star Wars and you go, yeah, I know what that's about. Or Walt Disney. What a remarkable dreamer. You know, and here's Disneyland and then Disney World, Epcot Center. You know, you know that w what they say about Disney World? It's the happiest place on earth. The happiest place on earth. And if you've been there and you hear, this is the happiest place on earth, you go, I think this is. This is the happiest place on earth. Have you ever heard anyone refute that? That's not the happiest place on earth. Okay, well, name the happiest place if that's not it. Because it's the happiest place on earth. How, do, how does that happen? Some guy named Walt had a dream. Isn't that remarkable? And then all the way to Elon Musk, you know, who, who's alive and well and doing his thing with Tesla cars and SpaceX. And we admire these people. We just think, what an, what an, an imagination these people have. What, what creativity, what, what dreams they, and visions they have. The Bible's filled with people who had these kinds of dreams. Abraham envisioned a great nation. God said to Abraham when he was an old man, I'm going to make of your seed, of your family tree, a great nation. And Abraham goes, I don't have one child. I'm in my 90s. I don't have one kid. But God gave him a dream to build a nation. Moses envisioned a free people, the Israelites. And he saw them as free even though they were still in Egypt making bricks without straw. But they could see it. 
Joshua envisioned an occupied land, the land of Canaan. We're going to claim that land of promise. Samson envisioned a defeated army, his enemies. David saw a temple, the temple of God on a hill on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. David saw, he had a vision of this temple before it ever existed. Nehemiah built miles of reconstructed wall in his prayers before one stone was laid upon another to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Daniel glimpsed a future kingdom. Peter, an established church. The apostle Paul saw a global vision of the expanding influence of the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus Christ. All of these guys and gals had enormous vision and dreams. The heroes of the Bible sensed God's plan for them was great, and they knew that God would be with them as they attempted to accomplish it. So what do we need? I, I submit to you that in this moment of history, with all the stuff that has come before, that we're in a moment when we need fresh vision. We need fresh zeal. We need fresh enthusiasm. And we don't only need it from leaders like me. We need it from every single one of us. Fresh vision, fresh zeal, new dreams, restoring your dreams, getting up and dusting off that old idea and put it back into life and see what God might do. Tell you a few examples. I want to brag on our friends Bob and Stacy Ball today. Uh, you know, they've done this amazing, miraculous work among the marginalized in our city through blood and fire, inside out. This corporation, they feed so many people and serve so many folks over the years. It's just been so inspiring. A part of the story that you don't know about is that, is that I actually hired Bob many years ago to be our youth pastor. And he was, a, he was an educator in a local school and had a nice career there and could have stayed in that stable job and, and with a comfortable future and all that. But he decided to take this leap of faith and join our staff here at Union Chapel, and it, and it didn't go well. And it surprised all of us, and we were all disappointed and sad by it. And so that, that season ended, and Bob and Stacy were just kind of left to wonder, what are you saying to us in this, God? And it took them a few years to sort it out. And they f reconnected and said, we have this, we have this dream now. We, we do believe God's called us to ministry, but our dream is now for the poor and for the marginalized. And will you help us? And I said, I will help you. And so together, th think about what's been accomplished over these decades now with blood and fire and the you know, amazing influence in people's lives. Uh, oftentimes meeting the needs of people in our community that no one else is, is helping. No one else is meeting. And it's just a, a fabulous story, isn't it, of dreams that were kind of uh, disrupted for a while, but then God restored them, you know, not giving up, persisting to know what God's plan is for your life. Years ago, we had a young teenage girl in our church and in our youth group, and her name was Debbie Blink. And when Debbie was 16, she got pregnant. And this was you know, just a, a difficult period of time for she and her family. And, and, and Debbie, Debbie had to process that and with her family and with our help and counsel and support. And she decided that she would carry her baby to term and then give the baby up for adoption. And you can understand how poignant that is and challenging. And they went through that process, and I was, I was a legal representative of the family at the time, designated, so when the baby was born, I was actually there, and I handled the baby, and, and again, just a legal representative of the birth family, and, and this little guy now, he's 30 years old, you know, he, 
<laughs> we followed his life. It was an open adoption. So Debbie got to connect with this adoptive family and see her son grow up and got to know him and all that. It was a be- just a redemptive story, beautiful story. You hear it and you go, that's the way it ought to work. Well, Debbie's mother, Janice Blank, in the midst of all of this, had a dream. And her dream was to accommodate this kind of open adoption for others. And so she started a ministry called Moses Project, right out of our church. And we know the story of Moses, how his mother, in order to save his life, you know, let him go in a basket down the river, and Pharaoh's family caught him, and the rest is history. Amazing story. So she called it Moses Project. And over the years, uh, numbers of open adoptions were brokered through Moses Project. And it was such a redemptive expression of a difficult season of life because they had a dream. They had a, had a dream even out of a, a difficult time. Isn't that a beautiful story? That's just so great. And, and simple little things that, you know, we've, we hear about uh, Light Their Path Children's Bibles. We talk about this at Christmas every year. And one of our small groups here, the Means Small Group, uh, over the last five years, I want to report this, they've just reported these numbers to us, that they have given away, we've distributed 10,927 Bibles, children's Bibles. Isn't that remarkable? That's just amazing. It's because someone had a dream. Someone had a dream. I love that stuff. So let me just give you these five ideas. They may not be pertinent to you right here, right now, in this timeline of your life, but one of these days when the dream begins to come into focus for you, these will be foundational concepts that will be important to you. Take these notes, keep them in your Bible, hang on to them, and be ready when the dream unfolds in your life. Here's number one. Root your dream in history. Let me just remind you of a sequence of the way God works. And this is what I mean by rooting in history. When God told Abraham, when he he and Sarah finally had their first baby, they were both in their 90s, this is a miracle story, they get little Isaac, and he's the son of promise. I mean, God told Abraham, here's your dream, I'm going to make of you a nation so great. The, The stars in the sky, the numbers of your descendants will be like that. It was a huge dream. Now he's got one baby. And God tells him to take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. It's very specific. Take him to that mountain and sacrifice him to me as an act of faith. It was a wild story. God, and, but God prohibited that from happening, but tested Abraham's faith on Mount Moriah. Now, go hundreds of years after that, and you find David and Solomon. David and his son Solomon planned and built the Jewish temple. Where did they build it? They built it on that same mountain on Mount Moriah. Now fast forward a thousand years. You see the connectivity here. A thousand years and you find Jesus and he now goes and offers himself as a burnt offering for sin. Where? What was the physical location? Same ridge, Mount Moriah. The same place that Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, the same place that David and Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem is the same mountain ridge, Mount Moriah, upon which Jesus died. So you see this this chain of events and this continuity of history, one thing connected to the next. So all of that to mean that we all stand on the shoulders of others who have built beautiful expressions of God's dreams in their lives, and we stand on their shoulders and we benefit from that. So here's what I'm saying. It's all connected. We are all connected. So how do you stimulate your dreams? How do you garner visions for your own life? 
and the purpose of, of God for you. It's, it happens by noticing what is happening in your life and in others' lives. So practically speaking, it's appropriate. It's a great idea to read, to watch, to notice, to learn, to be intrigued by what God is doing through the lives of others that will stimulate your own dreams and your own vision for the future. You know, creativity doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens when there's the stimulation of other ideas and other models and examples of it happening around you. I've made a career out of, out of, out of doing this very process I'm describing. I, I, have this, I have this simple concept, this simple philosophy of life. Many people attribute to me creativity and innovation and, and amazing, amazing kind of programming, that sort of thing. Listen, I, I am not a creative thinker. All I do is pay attention to what in the world God's doing. A mentor of mine said to me many decades ago this simple statement, and I hang on to it, I'll share it with you. He said, you will do the best with your life if you discover the purposes and plan of God for your generation and then fling yourself into it. Find the purpose and plan of God for your generation. What in the world is God up to? And then fling yourself into it. Now, here's my push. Here's my challenge, especially for you younger generations, because this is not only an observation, but this is, this is part of the science. Now, we know that there is delay with the younger generations in making major decisions in life and getting on with, with careers and marriage and raising kids and all of these markers. Well, it's also true in discerning God's will for your life and getting involved in that. And, and so the tendency right now for the variety of reasons this is true is for the younger generations to walk up to the, to the banks of the river of God's plan and purpose and just stand there for a while and watch it go by. Oh, I think I'm supposed to get in, but I'm not quite sure. And more time goes by and more events go by and there's reluctance, there's hesitation. You know, it's a failure to launch. Here's my admonition to you. This is my challenge to you. Find the will of God for your life and then fling yourself into it. Get wet. Stop touching your toe in the water and get wet. Get in. Dive in. Jump in. Once you're in, trust me, God will be faithful to get you to the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right things. That's God's promise to you. But you got to get in the game. You got to get in the game. You got to get out of your mother's basement. Get in the game. So, so this is what this is what this is what practicality looks like. So root your dream in the things that have come before you in history, and then find God's purpose and get involved. Second, reproduce your dream in a picture. This is that vision thing. Second Samuel seven two. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. This is King David speaking. But the ark of God, the ark of the covenant dwells inside tent curtains. The Ark of the Covenant was this representation of the presence of God. Uh, they set it in the Holy of Holies in this big tent in the wilderness in Sinai under Moses. And then subsequently, when they built the temple in Jerusalem, they put it in there. And so it represented the presence of God. And David simply is musing. He said, look, I live in a cedar palace. It's a spectacular stone and wood structure. And God, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the representation of the symbol of God, he lives in a tent still lives in a tent. And David said, that's not right. And so David's dream was, I want to build this temple. 
So he dreamed of this permanent form of, of the tabernacle, and he actually saw it in his head before it actually happened. This is the process of getting a dream. Here's number three. Reinforce your dream with determination. Determination. I mean, for, you know what determination is. 80% of you this morning woke up and you went, if I'm not determined, I'm not going to get to church today. <laughs> you, I mean, you had to, you know, you know determination, you're here. And if you're watching online, I mean, you, you actually got up. Congratulations. And you tuned in, you know, pushed a f- clicked a few, and you're here. So, you know, that takes determination. Good for you. So a true personal dream will also have to be durable enough to resist when discouragement comes, because it will. Every visionary, every dreamer has setbacks every time. Look at 1 Chronicles 28.3. This is what God said to David. You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war, have shed blood. So David was disqualified from actually building this dream of his, this temple, because he was a warrior. Too much blood had been shed. God said, I just can't let you do it because of that. So what did David do? Did he pout? Did he give up? No. What he did was, well, if I can't build it, at least I can raise the money for it. So he spent the rest of his life raising the money for the temple and then passed all that resource down to his son Solomon, who actually saw the thing built. Um, God's dream is a big thing. And when you embrace God's dream, God will be with you. It's a powerful story. Five years ago, I stood up and said, we're going to plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. And that was five years ago. And tomorrow morning, we will have a quarterly meeting of the United Union Chapel Association, which is the organization we developed to assemble all of our church planters. And there will be approximately 13 13 church planters on the association call tomorrow. Uh, There will be people from Pennsylvania, from Ohio, three from Indiana, one from Colorado, three from Florida. Um, people are starting to tune in from Arizona, Phoenix, because we, we have an idea to plant house churches in Phoenix, and we're building associations with relationships there, uh, very capable people who can probably pull that off. We, we have a team in Kazakhstan, as you know. This fall, we've already determined that we're going to split our team. House churches are being formed in um, in Almaty, Kazakhstan, the city of Almaty, and new leaders are being formed. And so this fall, we're going to split the teams and send a team to Astana, which is the capital city of the nation of Kazakhstan, and start planting house churches there. So we're multiplying churches all over Central Asia. That's our goal. We have relationships in Ukraine, as you know, and, and in Ecuador, and in Mexico, and in Cuba, and on and on this list goes. Uh, this past week, Robin Wood, our director of church planning, spoke again with Nick Voyevich, who is the young man who was born without arms and legs, does a ministry called Life Without Limbs, and God opens doors to him to preach the gospel all over the world. One of those doors that has opened to Nick is the prison system in the United States. Last year, he, he preached the gospel in 228 prisons, and Nick has a dream. Nick's dream is that he wants to recruit and train inmates in prisons to be church planters. These men and women who love Jesus and have a sense of call to ministry, he wants to train them so that they can plant churches inside the prison. And Robin 
Robin just spoke with Nick again last week and will travel to meet with Nick the 1st of March, just a couple of weeks. And, and it's probable that we will, we will start planting churches in prisons as soon as possible because he's asked Robin to train these men and women to lead these churches in prisons. And it could be that in the next handful of years, we'll probably plant, I don't know, 100 churches just in prisons alone. That's where you should really clap your hands right there. You should go, that's something. That's amazing. So on and on this story goes because it's the fruition of a dream. Someone has to dream that before it can happen. So reinforce your dream with determination. Here's number four. Reconcile your dream with its cost. We all know this verse in Luke 14. Jesus helps us understand by saying, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. There's financial cost in these things, of course, but there's also the cost of time. There's the cost of association. There's the cost of hassles and obstruction and all kinds of discouraging things. And the understanding of the cost will keep you going when you do face opposition. I knew that that was going to cost me. I knew there was going to be a cost in that way. I knew that was coming. And so if you count the cost ahead of time, it'll help you when opposition comes. So hang on to that. Remember that. It's an important thing. And then fifthly, release your dream to your legacy. Here's what I mean. In one of the most encouraging verses in the Old Testament, David now is talking to his son Solomon. David has been informed, I know you have a dream to build this temple in Jerusalem, but I'm not going to let you do it, God says. But even though I've given you the dream, I'm going to let your son fulfill the dream and actually build the temple. So David goes about raising the money for the temple. And so here are the words that David uses with his son Solomon when he's handing this dream off, this mission off, this mandate off to his son. Look at First Chronicles 28. It's on the screen. Be strong, he said, and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now that's encouraging, right? Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. These are the two things that will stop your dream more than anything else. You'll be, you'll be filled with fear because I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough of this or that. There's too much opposite. And then there's this discouragement. There are always voices in your head when you're pursuing the dreams of God who will try to dissuade you from doing God's dream in your life. It is without fail going to happen. If you think you're just going to fulfill your dream with no opposition, no barriers, no obstacles, no hassle, you're confused about that. It will not be easy, but it will be good. And God will be with you. If it's a God-sized God dream, it cannot fail. And it will not fail. So hang on to that. He said, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service for the temple of the Lord is finished. He just looked at his boy and said, listen, don't you give up. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be discouraged. Almighty God has instilled this dream and Almighty God will see you to the finish. So don't give up. He was determined to leave something behind that would honor the Lord, and he did it. You know, the, 
The, the temple in Jerusalem was called Solomon's temple. Look what Solomon has done. He built the temple. Okay, so Solomon built it, Solomon's temple, but it was David's dream. It was David's dream. There's great power in a dream, my friend. There are no small, small tasks in the Lord's work. I've been talking about big things in this message, but hear this. There are no small tasks in the Lord's work. Nothing is too small. Your dream may feel insignificant, but it's important. No small tasks, no insignificant dreams. Our work is never routine. Our labor is never wasted. Our legacy is capable of outliving us. All of that is because when God starts something, it never stops. You understand our God is an eternal God. When he starts it, it reverberates forever. Let me add one more story. Lillian Trasher lived at the beginning of the last century. She was working in an orphanage in North Carolina and began to sense of call into missionary work and actually called to Egypt. This sense of call was so strong for her when she shared it with her fiance at the time, uh, he decided to leave her and their relationship because he did not have the same sense of call. She sold her belongings, boldly booked passage, a one-way trip to Egypt, arriving with less than $100 in her purse. One day she was asked to go to the bedside of a dying young woman, and this dying young woman, Egyptian woman, begged Lillian to care for her malnourished baby girl, and Lillian agreed. And so began the first orphanage in Egypt. First years, you can imagine, were filled with great difficulty, limited support, but she persevered, realized her vision not only in an orphanage, but also built schools and evangelistic missions. By the time of her death, Lillian Trasher's death in 1961, she had cared for more than 8,000 orphans and touched thousands of others. Isn't that great? Powerful story. The organization she founded, the Lillian Trasher Orphanage, still serves the needy in Egypt today. And perhaps the best part of Lillian's story was the prayers she offered to the Lord when she was a girl, just a child. And she never forgot this prayer, and nor did God. And she said this as a girl in prayer, Lord, I want to be your little girl. Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know, and I'll do it. Can you imagine a more simple prayer? Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Do you see it on the screen? Let's end this service today by praying this prayer together. And let me just say, this is not the kind of prayer, as simple as it may seem, this is not the kind of prayer you want to pray unless you're sincere. I give you fair warning. Do not pray this prayer if you are not sincere. Because if you are sincere in praying this prayer, listen to your pastor. God will answer it. For many, many Christian people, God's been waiting for you to pray a prayer like this. So as simple as it may be, it couldn't be more powerful. Well, God's never answered one of my prayers that I can tell. He'll answer this one. If you pray it, and you won't be confused about it, you pray it in sincerity, and 
a week or two from now, a month or two from now, you'll go, God spoke to me about that. <laughs> I know what I'm supposed to do. Now the question is, will you do it? Are you ready? Let's pray it out loud together. Everyone together, but don't pray it if you don't mean it. Fair warning. Heads up. Ready? Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know and I'll do it. One more time. Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know and I'll do it. One more time. Lord, if ever I can do anything for you, just let me know. All right, would you stand with us?